This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. But I want to start out in the book of John. In the book of John chapter 6, Jesus is talking here. And what was going on before this is Jesus is talking about some pretty hard subjects. So he's going on and he's teaching things that people just really didn't like to hear. And sometimes that's for us today. Sometimes we preach things that people didn't like to hear. And unfortunately, some people decided to stop following Christ at this time. There was a lot of people that followed Jesus for a long time when he was here on earth. And, and when he started preaching these hard subjects that they didn't like, they chose to stop following him. So in John chapter 6, we're going to pick up in verse 66. And it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus is asking here, he's talking to the twelve, and of course we know that's the twelve apostles, and Jesus is asking, are you also going to turn away like all these other people have turned away? And Simon gives the great answer, and he just answered with a question, who, who would we go to? To whom shall we go? You or Christ? You're the Messiah. You have the words of life. And that's the question that I want to ask today. Is if we don't follow Christ, then whom shall we go? So we're going to look at that. Or who are we going to follow if we choose not to follow Christ? You know, we, we all know, we've all heard that Jesus is the way to heaven. In John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by, but by me. Jesus is saying here that he is the way. He is the truth and the life, which strongly implies and tells us that there is only one way. He is that one way. He, there is only one truth, and Jesus is that one truth, and there is only one life, and that's the eternal life that, that Jesus offers, and nobody can offer that but Jesus Christ. Nobody can come to the Father, God, except through Jesus Christ. He is the way to heaven. So I want to look at this, and you know, if you're like me, many people have said, and I have heard, I'm sure you have too, Many people will say, well, we're all going to heaven. We're just take, taking different paths to get there. There is only one path to heaven. And that one path to heaven is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that's what I want to study about this morning. So the first question I want to ask is, why is Jesus the only one? Why is he the only way? If you look at Matthew chapter 17, we have what we refer to as the transfiguration. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, it says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What was going on here is Jesus had taken a few of the apostles up to a high mountain. They were separating themselves. And when they went up there, then we have what's called the transfiguration, which Jesus was there. And while he was there, they saw, the apostles saw Jesus talking with, both, with Moses and Elijah. So when, when he was talking to Moses and Elijah, the apostles saw them and they said to Jesus, we should build a tabernacle for the three of them. Now, if you think about this, back in the Old Testament, you have Moses was the Mosaical law. That's the first law that was given. So you have Moses with the Mosaical law and then you had Elijah, who he was one of the major prophets. And that's how Jesus spoke with them at that time was through the major prophets. So from the course of history, you had Jesus spoke through Moses with the Mosaical law. And then the second time, time we have is Jesus spoke through the prophets. Now we have Jesus. Jesus speaks through, through Jesus, or the, God speaks through Jesus, excuse me. So the apostles wanted to build a tabernacle for the three of them. So they recognized the authority of Jesus. 
they recognized that he was at least equal of authority as both Moses and the prophets with Elijah. However, God expounds upon them more perfectly, and he tells them that this is my beloved son. Jesus is my son, and you should listen to him. So we're not listening to Moses anymore. We're not listening to the prophets anymore, but instead we're listening to the Son of God, which is Moses. There is no other person throughout the history of the earth where God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is one reason why Jesus is the only one. Another thing we can look at of why Jesus is the only way to heaven is look at all the prophecies he fulfilled. When you look back in the Old Testament and he fulfilled those in the New Testament, there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled at that time. There's a book when I was putting this study together, and this book is called What Are the Odds? And it, it talks about various things, like what are the odds of getting struck by lightning, or what are the odds of this, or what are the odds of that? Well, one thing it talks about is what are the odds that, that one man could fulfill just eight of the major prophecies? And some of the prophecies that it looked at was that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, or that the Messiah was going to be born during this time, and that all these, these children would be killed, talking about... Uh, Rachel's children's. So when it talks about that, it said, what are the odds that one man can fulfill just eight of these prophecies? And here's the, the math that it, this guy came up with. It came to one and 100 quadrillion. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I've never used that number before. 100 quadrillion. Just to give you an idea, that is one and 17 zeros after that. That's a lot. So here's what that looks like. That is 100 quadrillion. To kind of give you an idea of what this number is, when you think of the whole planet that we have today, the whole earth, and everybody that's on the earth is roughly 7 billion people, give or take. That's 7 billion in comparison to 100 quadrillion. That is a very, very large number. So here's to kind of wrap this up. If you take 14 million... 285,714 fully populated earths, fully populated planets. You got over 14 million of those. You randomly pick one person out of all of those 14 million, that would be Jesus Christ. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And remember, when we talk about what are the odds, that's only fulfilling eight of the prophecies, and he fulfilled over 300. So basically what basic math would tell you is I can't do math that high. I'll just tell you that. But when you look at numbers like this, it is virtually impossible that one person could fulfill these 300 prophecies. Does that make sense? It is impossible that that could happen. However, it did happen. We have historical records that it was true. So from man's logic would tell you that it's impossible, but from God's logic tell you, no, it's not possible. You just have to have one, and Jesus Christ is that one. So he is the way to heaven. When we say that he's the true son of God, he's the one that fulfilled all these prophecies, it is Jesus who did that. <coughs> Jesus Christ is the only person who, who can, can prove that for us. Now the next thing I want to look at, so we've looked at Jesus, that God called Jesus his one and only son, and then that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. The other thing I want to look at is that Jesus is the only one that can offer pure blood for our salvation. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and we're going to read the entire ninth chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. What we're talking about here is the Mosaical law. 
the Old Covenant. When you go back into Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood, that this is how they were supposed to make atonement for sins. Verse 2, For there is a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that, that the way of the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, withstood only in meats and drinks and diverse watchings and cordial ordinances imposed upon them until the time of Reformation. So let's stop right there. So that's just the first nine verses. What, what he's saying here, the author of Hebrews is saying, all of this happened back in the old times, the Levitical priesthood. You had the tabernacle, and then you had the holy place, and then you had the holiest of all places. Once every year, the high priest would go into the holiest of all and would offer sacrifices, and it was a blood sacrifice. And then what, the, what he's saying there in verse 8 was the Holy Ghost was signifying that this was not a way into the holiest of all as of yet. This was just a symbol. This was a foreshadowing of, of the things to come. So now we're going to see what the, that foreshadowing was in verse 10, or in verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling in the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So let's stop again. Now we're comparing Christ to the high priest. So the high priest went into this holiest of all, went into the tabernacle, which was a worldly, it was an earthly built tabernacle. It was made with hands. Now we're comparing Christ to the true high priest, who he went into the true holy place, which is, that's the place of God, and he offered himself and his own blood one time. So it shows you that that foreshadowing back in the Old Testament that we have is the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ as your high priest. Verse 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of no force after, for a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator leaveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and of water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkle both the book and the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled it with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of, of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. 
For Christ has not entered into a holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once into the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin from the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So I know that was quite a lengthy reading, but I think you can see the necessity of it. Comparing the Old Testament that, that back then with the tabernacle, they were purified with blood of goats and bulls, and, and basically they actually weren't purified at all, but all it did was roll their sins forward a year. So it did make an atonement. It appeased God temporarily, but it just rolled their sins forward a year. And then it compares Christ, which is our Messiah, that he died once. He went into that holy place once. So if you think about that, you think about in the Old Testament that how many thousands and thousands of years that every single year the high priest had to go into that holiest of holy places and offer a blood sacrifice for the people. Thousands of years. It just happened over and over and over again. And then you had Jesus Christ come along. Jesus Christ was able to offer that pure and perfect blood one time. And it said that that one imper- pure and perfect blood, that that is what truly would appease God of our sins forever. From the beginning of the earth all the way till the end of the earth, that one sacrifice would appease it forever. So you can see that Christ is the only one that can offer that pure blood. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. It says, And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. This Jesus is the one that can offer that pure and perfect blood for our sins. He is the only way that we can have that atonement with with God that we need. None of us are perfect creatures. We all have sin in our life, and He is the only one that can be that mediator for us and say, I have washed that one. That one is a child of yours because I have cleansed him with my blood. He's the only one throughout the history of the world that can say that. Now, I want you to think just a little bit about this. This had to be a pure and perfect blood. Remember back when, actually we read it earlier in Matthew chapter 4, Jared was reading it for us. When Jesus was tempted of the devil, he was tempted three times. What would have happened if Jesus had gone and succumbed to that temptation, that if he would have let the devil overpower him just once, what if Jesus had just one sin in his life? He would not be able to offer this perfect blood for you and I, would he? wouldn't be perfect. It'd be tainted, just like ours is today. If I died for you, my blood is not perfect. And if Jesus had sinned, his blood would not be of perfect either. So it was necessary for him that he had to overcome all these temptations that you and I come today. He faced every temptation just like we do, And yet he never yielded once to that temptation. Can you imagine his mindset of when he left heaven to come to earth and be a man and what he had to do, how long he was going to have to live on earth and how how strong he would have to be for the entire world that if he sinned just once, he would not be able to offer that pure and perfect blood. So when we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and when Jesus teaches us that he's the way, the truth, and the life, we believe him. He's the only one that God said, this is my son, hear him. He's the only one that fulfilled all these 300 plus prophecies that we have, talking about the Messiah and how he was going to come. And he is the only one from the foundations of the world that can offer the pure and perfect blood for your sins and make an atonement for you.
So when Peter asks, to whom shall we go? It's the same question that you and ask. You and I should ask today, who should we go to? Who can do these things for us that Jesus can do? Well, obviously the answer is nobody. The fourth thing we want to look at is that Jesus is the only one who was able to defeat death. Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Jesus is the only one that was truly resurrected from the dead, not by another gift or power, but God raised him up. God raised him up that it was not possible that the chains of death would hold him. Not possible. Because God had a plan that he was going to raise him up. And just as he was raised up and that he defeated death, he gives us that pattern that we can walk after. That way to heaven, that way and that, that eternal life that we talk about, that's the way. Jesus has paved the way for us and we can walk right after him as long as we're walking in his footsteps. So since we know that Jesus is the way... He is the only way to heaven. Then who do some people choose to follow if they don't follow Jesus? Well, the first group of people that people choose to follow is other teachers or preachers. Could be pastor so-and-so down the street. Could be a televangelist. It could be someone who starts some denomination or starts some church in their own name instead of following after the words of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What Paul is teaching here, he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, I know that there's divisions among you, that there's splits. That some of you are saying that you have followed Paul, and some of you are saying you've followed Apollos, and some of you are saying you've followed Christ. And then here's how Paul responds to that. Is Christ divided? Absolutely not. Was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I sure hope not. You should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that instead of having these divisions, we should all be unified. And this unity is the unity that we all follow Christ, that we all follow Him. So let's replace some of those names for a minute. Now Paul is writing, it says, Now this I say, that every one of you say, I am of Paul. What if he said, I am of John Calvin? What if he says, I am of Joseph Smith? What if he says, I am of the Pope? All these different things. All he's saying is that what they were trying to do at this time, they were trying to start denominations. They were dividing themselves to follow after different people instead of following after Jesus Christ. When you look at the word denomination itself, the word, it means division. We should not have any divisions, but instead we should all be one. It talks about that just a little bit. That you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but you be perfectly joined together in that same mind and in the same judgment, which is through Christ our Savior. So this is what Paul encouraged the church at Corinth to do, and it's what we're encouraged to do today. That we're not dividing, we're not following after different teachers, after different preachers, after different things, but instead, we're following after Christ. We're following after Him alone. 
So when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive, but speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. What Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here is telling us that we don't need to be like these children tossed to and fro. We have this great speaker come in or there's televangelist or whatever. And he comes in and he just has these great words that, man, they sound good. Man, that's what I want to follow. And then we follow him. And then before you know it, there's somebody else. And we want to follow that guy. And we keep going back and forth to follow all these people. He's telling us, don't do that. Don't follow all these people. But instead, verse 15, speak the truth and love and grow up into him and all things which is ahead, even Christ. Instead of following all these people, follow the words that are steadfast and sure that never change, which is Jesus Christ. Follow him as the one and true way to get to heaven. You know, there's over 10 million people today that watch Oprah's talk show. I don't know if any of you watch Oprah's talk show, but there's over 10 million that watch Oprah's show. And the majority of which will say that they get the majority of their spiritual influence from Oprah, a person they've never met. They've never met, but they watch her show and they feel some connection to her. And a recent survey of 6,600 people showed that 33% said that Oprah had more influence on their spiritual beliefs than their parents, than their pastors, or than their teachers, or even the Word of God. That Oprah has more spiritual influence on a third of people. And there's 10 million people every day that watch her show. Recently, she started a new show where she travels around the world and she talks about all these different religions and all these different beliefs and all these different doctrines that people teach. And what the point of the show that she puts out is that they're all valid, that they all say the same thing and that they all make sense. And what they're saying is exactly what we, we started the conversation with this morning, that there's all these different ways to get to heaven. We're all just taking different paths to get there. And we've already proved that's not the case. We have already shown that there is only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. But her show with 10 million followers are watching these and that they're following after that as well. Here's a quote from her. She teaches that God is not a higher being, but that it's a force inside of all of us. God is not some higher power. God is not some magical person that created the, the history of the world, but that God is a force within inside of all of us. Here's the quote. It says, look within you. Find yourself from within. Find that God consciousness. That's God. So look within yourself and find that inner voice that's telling you what to do, right or wrong, good or bad. Find that inner voice, that God consciousness, that is God. She also goes on to say that Jesus did not come to die on the cross, but to teach us how to find ourselves by looking within ourselves. Now, we just read from the book of Hebrews how since the beginning of time, that was the plan, that Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to offer that pure blood on the cross for our sins, that it, the death, burial, and resurrection, which we know is the gospel of Christ, that we know that that was a plan from the foundation of the world. And, but she goes on to say that that was not his purpose. That was a mistake. That should have never happened. God does not make mistakes, people. That this plan that to redeem us from our sins, that was the plan, and that's what Jesus fulfilled. 
Now, if you think about this, I want you to think a little bit about the logic and the road that this could lead people down. When you say to look within you and find yourself from within, find that God, that God voice within you, what you're really teaching people to do is there's no need to repent. There's no need to change. God calls all people to repentance so that they would follow after Him. But if you have this voice inside of you saying, do this or do that, and, and you're telling yourself that that is God, and God is telling you to do all these things, then why would you follow the Word of God? Why would you follow Him if it disagrees with that voice inside of you? Because God is inside of you. Can you see the dangers that that leads people down? It may sound great on the surface to a lot of people. Sounds great to 10 million followers that follow her. But when you really get down to it, it's not great. That is man's logic, which is the way of destruction. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 through 18 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenius and Philetius, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Right there at the very first, it says, Study to show thyself approved. That means study the word of God. Study the scriptures. See what the scriptures say. Is it true or not? So you can rightly divide the word of truth. Test everything that you hear against the scriptures. If you have this God consciousness inside of you, why would you need to test the scriptures? It's a direct contradiction of what the word of God says. There's no need to study to show yourself approved because God is within you. Can you see the logic behind that? It does not make any sense, but people eat it up today. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we, say, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia here, and it's so important that he, he says it twice. He wants to really drive this fact home. If anybody, even an angel from heaven, Preach anything unto you other than the gospel that you have received. Let that person be accursed. Now, we just mentioned we know the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. That was a plan from the foundation of the world. When someone like Oprah or any other teacher, this isn't just specifically to call out her, any other teacher that says that was not Jesus' plan, that was a mistake, let that person be accursed is what Paul's saying. And that needs to be our reaction today. If we're not following Jesus Christ, if, if He is not the way, the truth, and the life for us, for us individually as our life, then honestly it says to let that person be accursed. That is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So be careful who you follow. Be careful who you listen to. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what TV program you're listening to, what radio program you're listening to, even here. Even me, test my words against the Scripture. If they do not match up with Jesus Christ, they are wrong. Follow the words of Christ and the words of Christ only. Now there's a second category of people that people tend to follow. So we talked about other teachers and preachers and, and heavy influences. There's another one that, that people tend to follow, and that's friends and family. That's close relationships that they have. You know, when we, we compare those who choose to follow friends and family of God, we have studied the gospel with many people, and, and I have direct stories, and I know a lot of you have direct stories when you were talking to people about following Christ, and you show them the gospel and they understand it, and, and you can even get them to the point of saying, I know what it says, 
I know what the Bible says. I know what it says that I need to do. However, if I agree with it, if I follow it, then that means all of my past family is wrong. And sometimes they're even including past family who's deceased. And I have a direct example of this. Some people in, in my family choose not to follow the Word of God because for them and their idea, their logic, they would say that they're condemning the people who's gone on before them that, that follow the same way that they do now. So instead of following after Jesus Christ and the words of Him, they're following after family members, both living and deceased, instead of following after the Messiah. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 6, it says, If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even to the other end of the earth. Thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him, neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shalt thou spare, neither shalt thou conceal, conceal him. What it's writing here, this is back in the Old Testament, and he's saying, if anybody, it doesn't matter how close that relationship is with you, your parents, your siblings, your daughters, your wife, your close friends, if anybody entices you to follow somebody else instead of following God the Father, do not go with him. Don't even pity him. Let him go his own way, and you stay following after Christ, if that's what it comes to. Obviously, our goal and our idea is that we would get them to follow after Christ, too. And if they don't, you do not follow them. You always stay true to the words of Christ. And instead of following after deceased family members, I want you to think for a second, why don't we think about the opportunity we have for the people who are still living, the relationships that we have in our life that we still have an influence over. In Acts chapter 16, verse 32, it's, uh, this is talking about the prison keeper here. Paul and Silas were thrown in prison at this time. This is when the earthquake came and the shackles were loose and they were about to, to get out. And the prison keeper was about to kill himself, but they stopped him, so he wouldn't. And then he asked them, what do I got to do to be saved? This is a Roman prison keeper. In verse 32, it says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now I want you to think about the setting for a minute. You had this Roman prison keeper, who I would venture to say was not a Christian, did not follow after Christ, and obviously he didn't follow after Christ because he asked him, what do I got to do to be saved? So he was not a Christian. Now my bet is that his past family, his parents, if he had any siblings, if he had anybody in his life that he grew up with, they were also not Christians. But instead of choosing to follow after them and following after the roads that he has been going on his whole life, he chose instead to follow after the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And by doing so, instead of letting his deceased family members dictate what he did, he chose to follow after the word and all of his house with him, meaning all of his family that were still living. He was able to influence them. So he chose to follow after Christ, and he brought others with him. And we can do the same, hour, the same thing today. Instead of following after family members, both living or deceased, that choose not to follow after the Messiah, Jesus Christ, if you follow after Jesus, you follow his footsteps and go with him, then you have the opportunity to bring others with you as well. So now the third thing I want to look at of who people tend to follow if they don't follow after the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is their self. It's their own self-interest. 
Some people will choose to follow their self-interest or what they feel is right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. Jesus said we have to deny ourselves. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you think is right. You should deny yourself. When you look up that word deny, the Thayers has that word deny as to forget oneself, lose sight of oneself, and one's own interest. Forget our own interest and look to fulfill the interest of God. Follow after his footsteps. But people tend to follow after what they feel is right, what they think is right. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto man, but to the end thereof are the ways of death. We all have these thoughts in our head of what we think could be right, what we think could be wrong. And just as other people, when we have to test what other people teach us and test them against the Scriptures, you also need to test those feelings and those thoughts against the Scriptures. Those ways that you think may be right, if they do not match up with the words of God, they are wrong. And you should deny those things. If they do match up with what the words of God says, then great, they're right, and follow after them. But we don't follow after them because it's a feeling or thought. We follow after them because it's the word of God. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12, it says, There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes, and yet is not washed from their unfilthiness. Remember, we just talked about that example of find that God consciousness within inside of you, which is flat out wrong. We've just talked about that. Think about this generation of people. Think about those 33% who believe that more than anybody else in anything else in their life. This God consciousness within inside of them. There is a generation, an entire generation, that is pure in their own eyes. If they have God inside them, they're pure in their own eyes. And yet, they have not been washed from their unfilthiness. I believe this is what Proverbs is talking about. Not this, just this generation specifically, many generations, many, many people. But just in our time, this is one thing that we can relate that to. There's many generations which believe they're pure in their own eyes, that their thoughts, their feelings, whatever they think is right is right, and they have not been washed from their sins. They haven't been washed by that pure and perfect blood of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about, so far, why Jesus is the only way. We've talked about if you're not going to follow him, who people tend to follow. And now the third point I want to look at is how do we make sure that we are following Christ? That he's the way, the truth, and the life. How can we make sure that we're on that way? That we follow his truth and that we are receiving that eternal life that he gives. Where the first thing is we have to know the Lord. We have to obey the gospel. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You know, when I, when I read this verse, this to me is one of the most scary and one of the most reassuring verses in all the New Testament, for me personally. And when I say it's one of the most scary, it says that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. With that, that's good people. That's people out in the world today that they're doing things that are good. They're good moral people. They're not heathens. They're not the ones going out and robbing people or murderers. They're good people. It says, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out many devils? They're trying to do good works in the name of the Lord. But he still, still is going to profess to them, depart from me, I never knew you. And where I say it's one of the most reassuring is right there at the end. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, turn into the kingdom of heaven, but... He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven will inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
if, as long as you do the will of the Father, then you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said, if you're just calling him Lord, if you don't know him, then you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So how do you know him? Well, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be, shall be revealed within heaven in his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destru destruction from the presence. Same thing that it's talking about in Matthew chapter 21. Those who know not God will be punished. And how do you know God? Right there in verse 8, that know not God and have obeyed not the gospel. When you obey the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that is how you know God and that's how God knows you. Remember we talked about Jesus is the high priest. He went into that eternal place. He is the mediator for us out of the New Testament. That he's up there when we get to the judgment that Jesus says, that one's been washed of my blood. That one I know and he knows us. Let him in. That is how we know God, is we've been washed by the pure and perfect blood by Jesus Christ, which is obeying the gospel. So what is that gospel we should obey? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Here's the gospel. For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I have received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Savior. Now we know Gospel is the term for good news. This is our good news, that Jesus was willing to die for you and your sins, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected, and since he defeated death, you and I can defeat death as well. That is our good news. That's the gospel of Christ. So if we know God by obeying the gospel, how do we obey the gospel? How do you obey something that somebody else did? Jesus was died, he was buried, and re was resurrected. How do you obey that? Well, Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Okay, there we've got death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. So Jesus died and was buried. In baptism you're died and you're buried. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There you have the resurrection. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So how you obey the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is with baptism. You are dead in your sins currently if you haven't been baptized. When you're baptized, you bury that old man just as Christ was buried. And when you raise up and you're resurrected, you're raised up as a new man, washed completely clean of your sins, new creature. So you obey the gospel you know God, you're put into Christ, and you're washed of His blood through the act of baptism. That's how you do it. So as we continue on, after you have, have obeyed the gospel and after you've been washed of your sins, it, the journey does not end there. The journey continues on. That's the beginning. So then you want to test your beliefs and everything you hear against the Scriptures. Acts chapter 17, verse 10, it says, And then... And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. Paul is telling us here that the people there in Berea, the Bereans, that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica for two things. The first thing is that they received their word with all readiness of mind. They had an open, sober mind receiving the word. They were listening, they were paying attention, and they received the word. And that's not where it ended. Then they took that word that they received of Paul, and they tested against the scriptures to make sure what they were hearing were the truth. Those two things, receiving the word and testing it against the scriptures, were those uh, activities that helped them be more noble than those of Thessalonica. You and I should be doing the same thing today. Receive the word with all readiness of mind and test everything you hear and including your own personal feelings against the scriptures and make sure that they are true. So in conclusion, I want to ask again, if you're not following Christ, then who are you following? In John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many chose to not follow Christ anymore. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Jesus is asking us this same question today. Are you also going to turn away and not follow after God? Whether you started your walk with him this morning or whether you haven't, are you going to turn away and deny Christ? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. This should be your response. And I hope that it's your response this morning. So my question for you as we end this service is to whom shall you go? Will you follow after Jesus Christ? Have you started your walk with Jesus Christ? We've talked this morning about obeying in the gospel. We've talked about Jesus as being the high priest. He's ready to wash away your sins. And he's sitting on the right hand of God as the mediator for us. But if you have not been baptized into him, you haven't obeyed the gospel, and you haven't been washed of your sins, then he can't be that mediator for you. That's going to be like in Matthew chapter 7, where it said, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we've done. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Don't hear that fate. If you were to die today and you stand in front of Jesus, I don't want you to hear that fate. And you don't want to hear that fate either. The, to depart from me, I never knew you. But instead, if you do the will of the Father, you've obeyed him in baptism, then he will say, enter in. Come in, thou good and faithful servant. That's what we need to be looking for. If you haven't been baptized into Christ this morning, then who are you following that's keeping you from doing that? Who is keeping you from following Jesus Christ? Is it yourself? Is it your family? Is it other preachers or teachers? Who is keeping you from following Christ? If you have been baptized into him, but maybe you've decided to turn away, maybe you haven't been that faithful steward that you need to be. You know, God blesses us with all these many blessings, but if we're not a faithful steward to continue that on and to be, able to be a blessing to other people, then what's the point? If you've been drifting off and maybe you've chosen to follow after other people instead, maybe you haven't stuck true to God and you haven't stuck true to the words of life, then what is keeping you from doing that? Who is enticing you to not follow after the words of Christ? and follow after some other person. If you're sitting here this morning, you haven't been baptized into Christ, you haven't washed away your sins, ask yourself this question, whom will you go? We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.